Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. I'm flying solo this evening. Jeff Harris is busy at the Disney 20, the D23, excuse me, D23 Expo. And you can check out all of his coverage of that event in the most of the movies TV section of 411 Mania. He's also, I think, still very, very happy about a Moon Knight series coming, and frankly, so am I. I'm kind of sad he wouldn't be able to be in the Netflix aesthetic, because I, th- I said right after Daredevil Season 1, I really hope they get Moon Knight to fit that same kind of, you know, street-level, gritty, violent aesthetic that they had going on, and... I hope they stick to that, because that is not a character that you can do in a happy, friendly, go-lucky way. Uh, There's violence, there's mental instability, and a lot of both. So, fingers crossed, but looks good. Anyway, Jeff should be back next week. In the interim, it's just me, and on the docket this afternoon, evening, whenever you happen to be listening. A preview for UFC on ESPN Plus 15. This is the UFC's card this coming Saturday that starts at like 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the first prelim. So that's a thing. Uh, Also, not a tremendous amount of news, but a bit. Uh, Conor McGregor's trying desperately to rehab his image after punching an old man in the face in a bar for refusing to drink his whiskey. Ugh. Uh, so we'll talk. A, he had an interview with. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, UFC 243 gets a little bit fleshed out. And what's up with flyweight? I mean, there's been some noise made very recently that I think bears a little bit of discussion. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this evening. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into that then, since not much else to plug in the beginning. All right, UFC on ESPN plus 15. This is not a great card. Uh, I think I've heard this referred to as a regional-level card with a... Okay, the top two fights are genuinely UFC-quality fights. Your main event is women's strawweight champion Jessica Andrade looking for her first title defense against Weili Zhang. Now, Zhang is not the most undeserving title challenger in UFC history, even in UFC recent history. I think if we wanted to limit that discussion... But she's also very clearly being plugged in here to be local Chinese talent on a UFC card in China. Uh, This is very much... uh, I hate to say out of her depth, because she might shock the world and win. But she's... Look, she's on a good streak. She's on a 19-fight winning streak. She's 3-0 in the UFC. She showed up Danielle Taylor, she submitted uh, Jessica Aguilar, and then beat Tisha Torres in her last fight. Now, unfortunately, some of those don't carry the same weight they did four years ago, when Jessica Aguilar was, you know, one of was maybe one of the better strawweights in the world. I mean, seven years ago, I think she was ranked as the best strawweight in the world. And Tisha Torres used to have, you know, used to be a real fixture in the division. Now, Tisha's on a four-fight losing streak, coming off of her most recent loss uh, to Mariana uh, Rodriguez. And Jessica Aguilar has, like, one win in the UFC. Yeah, Aguilar in the UFC is one in four. Also coming off a loss to Marina Rodriguez. So, I mean, again, actually submitting her the way she did, she was the first person, I believe, to submit her. Well, first since her debut. 
So it's not like Zhang is some kind of complete charity case. She's not. She's a very talented up-and-comer. And much as I hate the UFC's constant repetition of the line, so-and-so is blank country's best shot at for a UFC, t- best hope for a UFC title, at this point in time, I think it is fair to say she is China- she is the best Chinese fighter on the UFC roster. Well, certainly in the best position to challenge for a title, even if she weren't fighting for the belt, even if they'd gone with someone else for Andrade's first title defense. Wei Li Zhang is probably still the best positioned fighter to score a UFC championship. But she is... But again, that doesn't mean she's not the beneficiary of the UFC's penchant for playing on nationalism when booking cards like this. I mean, their first... You know, I remember this very distinctly. One of their most... Their first uh, trip back to Brazil in you know, however many years or what have you. They booked Brazil versus the world. And I heard this somewhere, I can't remember where, but I think it's probably true. You know, Brazil's not so much passionate about MMA as they are fiercely nationalistic. So getting to watch their countrymen succeed at anything is going to get a bit of a result. Um, There's also a giant kind of, sort of question around this fight about Jessica Andrade, because I've mentioned this before, the the Chinese Broadcast Authority has banned the has banned visible tattoos from martial arts competition. So if you have any, they have to be covered up. It's apparently such a big deal that local MMA promoters in China just won't promote you if you happen to have visible tattoos. And Jessica Andrade has several. Her entire right shoulder is done. Uh, she got part of her back done. So it's not quite clear what's going to go on with that. Uh, again, the fight does seem to be on. We're leading up to fight week. They've done media tours. They've so there's stuff going on. But how that's going to be presented is still a little bit of a, a bit of a question mark. I mean, there's and it's just it's kind of a bizarre thing because. The UFC is very keen to make inroads into China. They've invested a lot of money into building their performance institute there. They are willing to hold cards. They've signed a bunch of Chinese fighters. So they've... Again, they're willing to make inroads and invest money and for a significant portion of the Chinese government to basically go, okay, no visible tattoos. That immediately disqualifies... What? 45 to 55 percent of the UFC's roster. I mean, there's a lot of guys and girls with ink in the sport. That's however you feel about it. That's just a statement of fact. So, eh, who knows? Um, as for the fight itself, I have no reason to pick against Jessica Andrade here. Again, Zhang has a lot of potential. She's fast. She has quick hands. She's light on her feet. She moves well. She's got a relatively diverse game. She's not. She's got decent physical strength. There's a lot good about her game. But, I mean, the only person Jessica Andrade has lost to at straw weight is, I believe, Joanna. Yeah, once she dropped, she is seven and one at straw weight, with that one being Joanna and Jacek. And 
I mean, Yolanda is just a terrible, terrible uh, stylistic matchup for Andrade, and you know, an exceptional fighter herself. I'd need a pretty specific reason to pick against Jessica Andrade, and I don't really get that out of Weili Zhang. Could be wrong, but I uh, again, that's not really what I'm not saying. She can't win. I'm just saying, you know what, Andrade, pretty, pretty handily. If I had to bet money on it. Your co-main event is also pretty solid. You have Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos, a profoundly underappreciated fighter. He has lost once in his UFC career. That was his UFC debut. It was a split decision that he that could have gone his way. Since then, he has won six, seven fights in a row. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, seven fights in a row. He's finished... The, he's finished four of those, including the last three. When he has knocked out Sean Strickland, Luigi Vendramini, and submitted Curtis Millender. Is he even ranked? I think he is, but it's... I don't think he's where he should be. Now, again, some of that's a little bit of, okay, the level of opposition is not always there. But, yeah, he's ranked 14th in the world. Somehow, Nate Diaz jumps to seven. By beating Anthony Pettis. This is asinine. Both Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos and Vicente Luque should be significantly higher than they are. They are uh, they are 14 and 15. Dos Santos is 14, Luque is 15. Somehow they are ranked below Robbie Lawler on a skid. Anthony Pettis, 1-1 one one in the division. Okay, they could be... I can see them legitimately being below Askren and Maya. But... Diaz? Till? I think I'd say Darren Till's on a two-fight losing streak. That, hang on, I gotta make sure that's accurate. I know... Yeah, he lost to Woodley and then he got knocked stupid by <laughs> Jorge Masvidal. That's the last we've seen of him. 2-0. Both both finishes in the second round. Do we have another fight signed? He does not. So... Somehow, these two guys with extreme winning streaks and impressive wins are ranked lower than a bunch of people. And again, I can... I, I mean, don't, why is Rafael Dos Anjos number five? I love RDA. Okay? I think he's a profoundly under... He is one of the... He's one of those all-time greats who's going to be forgotten. He should not be ranked fifth at welterweight right now. He's that's just not the position he's in. This is insanity. This is absolutely insanity. What the hell? Who's doing these rankings and why are they so bad at it? Ugh. It's pathetic. I'm a little bit pissed now and I almost want to just yell about that anyway. Um he's fighting Li Jingliang who has a really good UFC record, actually. Jing Leong debuted back in 2014. He is... Two, he is 8-3 and three in the UFC. And he's on a two-fight winning streak. He had a four-fight winning streak at one point. Uh, his losses are to Nordin Taleb. That was split. Arguably could have gone his way. He got choked out by Kakamura in the third round after dominating the other two. And he got beat by Jake Matthews. Uh, 
fairly non-controversially, apart from him gouging Matthews in the eye. One of the... Just a horrible eye gouge. So, th this is a solid fight. I'm going with uh, Elizu Dos Santos. I mean... Again, I need a... He needs to be fighting a much higher level of opposition, but he's not... For some reason, he's not getting it. Dude should be ranked much higher. Um, alright. Next up... Okay, for the record, I don't believe the bout order is completely finalized here. So I apologize if this winds up being out of order, but really, those are the best two fights. El the rest of this card, um, we have a flyweight bout between Marc De La Rosa and Kai Cara France. De La Rosa coming off of that loss to Alex Perez. He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Um, is he back down at flyweight for this? Yeah, he's bounced around a little bit between flyweight and bantamweight. Um, whereas Cara France is a pretty legit prospect coming out of uh, Australia. Is that New Zealand? Okay, he's from New Zealand, yeah, sorry. I, there's one star different on their flags. So if I'm just looking at the flag, I sometimes have to double-check that. Uh, Cara France is on a significant winning streak. Um... I mean, he was very nearly on uh, the 24th season of The Ultimate Fighter, but he lost on the... Uh, he lost to Alexandre Pantoja. He might have been on it, but just... Because, uh, yeah, he then did not get signed to the UFC. So he might have been on it and then just lost in the first round and they didn't re-sign him, but... He's 2-0 and in the UFC with wins over Elias Garcia and Haulian Paiva. Uh, he's not bad. So that's a legitimate fight. I think Cara France... I, I, I don't know, I kind of gravitate towards him in this fight. Um, let's see. We have, I believe, the debuting Zhen, uh, excuse me, Zhen Hong Lu versus Movsar Evloev. Um, Lu, yeah, this is his UFC debut. On a really good streak overall recently, jeez. Uh, he's got one, uh, sorry, he's on a one-fight winning streak, but the one loss that came right before that broke a nine-fight winning streak. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, excuse me. Assuming I can count properly, which is not a given. So that, uh, and uh, Evloev undefeated, 11-0, and 0, at least one win in the UFC. Yeah, he beat Xiong Wu Choi uh, earlier this year. I'm going to go with Evloev, but uh, two, you know, up-and-coming guys with a fair bit of potential, so we'll see. We also have um, Wu Yanan, who's 1-1 one one in the UFC and was last seen uh, submitting Lauren Muller. Is this Lauren Mueller? Yeah, Lauren Mueller with an armbar. Lauren Mueller did not pan out the way a lot of people thought she would. And before that, she lost to Gina Mazzani, and she is fighting uh, Mizuki Inoue. Excuse me, Mizuki Inoue, who is 13 and 5 overall, and made a bit of noise coming through Invicta. Some of the other, uh, some of the other, you know, the former Deep Champion, I believe. Uh, so kind of excited to see Inoue debut in the UFC. Um, I'm actually going to lean towards Inoue there, but eh, who knows. We have uh, Kanan Song, who's on a bit of a tear. 
Right, I'm confusing him with Song Yedong, aren't I? Not that not that the not that Kanon's song is bad. Cause yeah, he's gone two and one in the UFC, coming off of the loss to Alex Morono, but before that had wins over Bobby Nash and Hector Aldana. So he's not bad. Anyway, he's fighting Derek Krantz, who made his UFC debut on short notice and got starched by Vicente Luque. I remember that fight. Uh, this actually seems like a bit of a soft touch for Song. Um, again, not a straight-up gimme, but, you know, softer for the hometown guy. Well, hometown. China's a large country. And I don't know where Song Kanan is from, so... Uh, we have Anthony Hernandez and Junyong Park. Hernandez, 6-1. and one. This guy lost his UFC debut, I believe. Yeah, Marcus Perez choked him out. I remember that choke. Good anaconda choke. And Park uh, making his UFC debut here. Got a good winning streak overall. He's three. He got a seven-fight winning streak, which is not nothing, even against uh, lesser level of levels of opposition. So I don't know anything about either guy. Go with Park. Guess I don't know. Um, Andre Sukumtot, who lost a lost an ass kicking contest to a one legged man. Uh, coming off of the loss to Montel Jackson, will be fighting um, Sue Mudaraji. Uh, Mudaraji's coming off of a loss in his U. In his UFC debut, when uh, Lewis Smolka submitted him with an armbar. Um, but I can't pick Andre Sukumtot to win pretty much anything at this point. Um, Daun Jung will fight Hadis Ibragimov. Ibragimov is 8 0. And making his UFC debut. Yeah, did a lot of M1 challenge stuff. Which is not the Russian regional scene is legitimate. Whereas Jung, South Korean, South Korea versus Russia, age-old rivalry, South Korea and Russia, um, in in the sporting world, they bring out uh, not quite as storied uh, in the combat side of things like South Korea and Mexico, where they just bring out the the killers in each other. Um, Jung is on a very long winning streak. Jeez. Uh, yeah, he's on a nine-fight winning streak. Double-check that. It might be ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, it is ten. Yeah, he's on a ten-fight winning streak coming into his UFC debut. Um, go with Ibrahimov. Jeez. Um, okay, here's a legitimate fight. Finally, uh, Demir Ismagulov, eighteen and one from Kazakhstan, has at least one fight and has two wins in the UFC over Alex Georgies and Joel Alvarez and has looked pretty darn good. Uh, he's on a very long winning streak. Jeez. So six, seven, eight, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, thirteen fights in a row. Uh, again, including two in the UFC. I'm actually excited for that guy's potential. He's fighting Tiago Moises. 
uh, Brazilian, has also fought in the UFC a couple of times. I lost to Benil Dariush, then beat Kurt Holobo. That's a really good fight. Uh, again, it's two up-and-comers. I'm going to go with this Magulov there. I, I'm pretty high on him. Um, closing things out, we have two more fights. Carol Hosa will fight Laura Procipio, I guess. I'm going to have to hear that. These are both Brazilian ladies making their debuts in the UFC. Um, Prosopio, yeah, okay, that accent's going to be weird, but I'm going with Prosopio until I hear otherwise. Uh, undefeated at 6-0, and whereas Hosa, 11-3 and overall, two-fight winning streak coming into her debut. I'll go with Hosa, but, eh, again, I know nothing about either woman. And kicking everything off, apparently, again, I don't know the finalized bout order for this just yet. We have Bachelor Dana, who is... Um, uh... Sri Lankan? Mongolia. Crap. Those flags really don't even look anything like each other. Might be the first Mongolian in the UFC, actually. I'd have to double-check that. Anyway, he's 6-1 and one overall. On a two-fight winning streak coming into his UFC debut. And he will be fighting... Um, Hele... Alatang? Going with Alatang. Until I hear otherwise. Who's 12-7-1... and one. On a two-fight winning streak. Um, probably a bit of a setup for uh, the Chinese guy, the Chinese fighter, in this case, Alatang, to kind of get the night running off to a good start. But, you know, in some of the lower-level circles of MMA, you know, crazy stuff happens all the time. Uh, all right. Wait a minute. Evloev and... Uh, they fought before. Can't believe I didn't see that at the. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, MSR Evloev and Jung Hong Lu have fought before. Evloev, being the undefeated party, is the one who won the fight. That was a long. That was back in 2015, so four years ago. Over four years ago, given the specifics of the timing, but that was an M1. Huh. Well, uh, Lu's stepping in on relatively short notice. Uh, Evloev was supposed to fight Mike Grundy. Eh. So, that, again, this feels very much like a regional card with a UFC-caliber main event, a good co-main... Again, a legitimate UFC co-main event, and one or two fighters that... or fights that, along the way, that you think, you know, those are... Uh, but this... Uh, look, again, there's... There's not a whole lot that I'm jumping out of my seat over. I will have coverage of this starting at... Again, the first prelim is 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday. So in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, stop by, say hello. That's always appreciated. going to be a long night. Long night. Alrighty. Let us jump into the news then, I imagine. So, the big story, Conor McGregor, after the... Okay, we talked a little bit about this last week, where Conor punched an old man in a bar for refusing to take a drink of his whiskey. And I imagine words were exchanged, and 
I did not really realize how big some of the blowback on Connor had been over this. I mean, look, I'm I thought it was stupid, but I have not been plugged into the McGregor cult, the cult of Connor for a while. I have I just I, I couldn't deal with you know, I think my part of my breaking point with them was a bit of the the bus uh, the Dolly bus incident with uh, Khabib and whatnot. Because my genuine, I, I saw what happened, and then my immediate thought was, huh, I wonder how the cult of Connor's going to spin this so he's still a good guy. And if you'll remember correctly, their response to Connor throwing a dolly at a bus, breaking a window, getting two fights called off due to cuts from the flying glass, and his general just buffoonery and criminal behavior, just just an accurate descriptor of it, was, well, it's all a work. It's a pro wrestling style angle. This is a WWE thing. Which is stupid. No, he went on a bit of a rampage there for a little bit. It's ridiculous. And, and But at that point, I was kind of like, all right, I am just, I am not going to pay too much attention to you people. Now, a few things about, and since... There's a really interesting video by uh, again mixed Molly Whoppery, who has spe- who where he and he pos- he puts forth the theory that or the hypothesis rather that we're seeing the third act of Conor McGregor's career, and in the true Shakespearean sense of the tra- of the tragedy, it's down it's his downfall. He set he talked a lot of trash. He made himself a huge star. He set bigger and bigger goals for himself. And I think I speculated a while ago on this podcast that there's a little bit of a... There's a very famous quote uh, attributed in a scenario attributed to Alexander the Great. It, uh, perhaps most famously is quoted by uh, Hans Gruber, uh, the great, great Alan Rickman in Die Hard. And Alexander wept for he saw the, for he saw the breadth of his empire that there were no more worlds to conquer, something along those lines. And I think, th- I said, I thought there was a bit of that in Connor. He needs a bigger mountain to climb. And after the Floyd Mayweather fight, that was it, man. You weren't going any higher than that. You sold the most pay-per-views in pay-per-view history. You fleeced thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Probably more than millions of people, because they had a stupidly high buy rate. And, you know, watch parties are a thing. You sold millions of people on the idea of you and Floyd being a loosely competitive boxing match, which is hilarious. That was such a hilarious thing to watch people buy into all that crap. But you did it. And you got paid. Not as much as Floyd, because your contract sucks and his doesn't. (laughs) But, I mean, he came back for the fight with Khabib, I think because he could dredge up a little bit of personal animus for the man. And and they did the, I mean, uh, Khabib versus Conor is the most purchased UFC pay-per-view ever. Not like it wasn't successful financially, but... Again, if you watch Connor in the build-up to that fight versus the build-up to previous fights, I don't know, man. Again, he he 
it's not quite the same guy. And I think, in fairness, part of that was he's talking with Khabib, and Khabib just was not going to really engage him on that level. Khabib is just, you know, he, Khabib is Khabib. <laughs> like, you're not going to shake that man's confidence with words. He is, and in fairness, you're not going to shake McGregor's self-belief either. Purely with words. There's nothing you can say to Connor that was going to, but anyway. And since then, uh, he's just kind of, again, he had the incident in Miami, went, okay, fair enough. It, his actions rose to the level of felony by virtue of a bit of a technicality when he destroyed someone's phone. And the level of... And the distinction between misdemeanor destruction of property and felony destruction of property is just the value of the property destroyed and your cell phone's worth a lot of money. But, eh, I mean, he was late at night, you know, early in the... Actually, early in the morning, coming out of a nightclub, probably a little drunk. Somebody sticks a camera in his face. I didn't condone the behavior, but, yeah, I can live with the... If that, again, if that was like, I mean, that is demonstrably less egregious than, you know, throwing, uh, you know, a handcart at a bus, which, uh, then, you know, they started, there was news that broke about him being investigated for some kind of sexual assault in Ireland. Nothing's come out of that. Now, that might just be because the investigation is ongoing, might be a lack of evidence, uh, there's a lot of things that could go on, be going on with that. Um, but again, nothing more has really come of it apart from, yeah, he, there's an investigation. Now, whether, again, whether it's open, whether it's ongoing, whether it's not closed, but they've stopped actively looking into it kind of thing, who knows? It, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of things fall under the category of inve- being investigated. Uh, it, it's, again, it's a broad categorization. And then there's a straight-up video of him punching a guy, in the, an old man, in the face for not wanting to take a shot of his whiskey. And the old man, like, it was hilarious. He barely even moved getting hit by that punch. Vaunted power puncher, Conor McGregor. Um, and, yeah, there was some... That seems to have been, for a lot of people, the not-so-much-straw, but brick that broke the camel's back. There's a lot of people who just went, all right, I... I you know, I made excuses for him. I looked at possible justifications for other actions, but I got nothing here. And this time around, he seems to finally be feeling it. Uh, apparently, there was a thing of a bunch of different bars in Ireland just recording themselves throwing out his whiskey. Which is, while certainly a, a statement you can make, you also did pay to have it in the bar in the first place, so he's technically already been paid. Because I don't think I don't think the distributor gets paid by the poor. I think that's just how the bar makes their money because they have to buy the booze. But anyway, it's not a good thing. And he went on. Uh, he did an interview with Ariel Helwani on, I believe, ESPN, and did some of his mea culpas. Said it was his fault. He uh, there's not a whole lot to unpack here. He didn't say anything other than the expected high-profile athlete caught in bad behavior. He said he would... He wants... He said he wants to fight Khabib again, and... Yeah, no. Look, man. 
I get that Connor's Connor and that he drives a lot of money. But I saw that fight. I don't need to see it again. I really don't. And it's not like lightweight is hurting for contenders. It's freaking lightweight. There is a depth of talent there that utterly belies, in many respects, McGregor's celebrity. In fact, giving in to McGregor's celebrity logjammed the division for two and a half years. Can we not do that again, please? We've got Poirier and Khabib coming up. After that, let's just get Khabib in there with the next guy. Or Poirier, whoever wins. I don't have to tell you who I'm picking, which is not to say that Dustin Poirier is incapable of winning that fight. In fact, next week I'm going to have a much more thorough look at that matchup. But, okay, assume Khabib wins. Uh, Just for the sake of argument. Schedule him and Tony. Uh, the winner of Cerrone and Gaethje, which... Why is Donald Cerrone ranked fourth? Didn't he just lose? He lost to Tony, okay. Yeah, that was that fight. Um, forgot, yeah, there's so many fighters in that division that are great. We don't need this. Keep the division moving. I think he also mentioned he'd be alright with a th- trilogy with Nate Diaz. And look, I'm okay with that fight. If you're just going to do the celebrity cash grab thing, Nate said, I mean, again, Nate, after he beat Pettis, said he would like to fight Jorge Masvidal. I am completely down for that fight. That's a great fight. If after that they want to go with uh, Diaz and Connor for the third time, because, hey, those those were two highly purchased pay-per-view events. And... Look, I didn't resonate with either of those fights personally. But a lot of people really loved their rematch. A lot of people loved the first fight, too. I mean, it's not really an either-or proposition as far as that goes. A lot of people love those fights. Again, me? No. I didn't resonate with them. But I get why people did. And if you want... And I think that's an appropriate fight for Connor if you want to keep him in a very high-profile situation, but you don't want to shoehorn him back into the title scene. Um, again, there's not a tremendous amount to make out of this, but I I think Connor's more doing his mea culpas from a PR standpoint because, look, even if he does fight again a couple of times, and that's a lot of money he's going to make when he fights. Connor McGregor makes a lot of money when he fights. I mean, he's also floated, you know, he wants to fight Floyd Mayweather again, which is hilarious, because you ain't going to shear that sheep again, guys. That's just not going to happen. You made be- you made a stupid amount of money on that con job. Let it go. I think he kind of floated the idea that he was supposed to fight Justin Gagey, and that fight fell through when he injured his hand. Um, which, in fairness, would have been a really good fight, because Gagey kind of walks into a lot of what Connor does, but... Connor also, I don't want to say a complete one-round wonder, but Connor McGregor drops off dramatically after the first five minutes. And Gagey is a durable machine that will chew you up and spit you out. So it would have been a good fight, um, but I think he's, uh, sorry, my point was, even if he fights a couple of more times, Connor is trying to look towards his future beyond fighting a little bit. 
And I think his whiskey brand, or whatever spirits he's doing, because I think, didn't he try that, like... I could have sworn I saw material for uh, a rosé that he was branding called, like, the... What was it? Champ Champ Rosé? Something stupid like that? Look, I don't drink, guys, so I can't speak to any of this, as far as quality. I've heard mixed reviews about his whiskey. And, again, let me be clear, if that if that's kind of the direction he wants to look at for after fighting, okay. If you can make it, booze is a profitable business, man. People like to get drunk. I don't... Again, I don't. I have religious and personal compulsions about not drinking, but... People do seem to enjoy it, and if you've got enough of a celebrity status about you to put your name on something and help it sell, hey, that works. That's a model that's been successful for as long as capitalism's been around. And I don't mean that as a negative. So if he's able to... If that's what he's looking at, I think he's trying to rehab his brand a little bit because he does not want some of those more sustainable long-term avenues of uh, you know, financial return to go away, and that makes sense. Whether or not he's going to fight again, I don't know, man. I mean, he might. Again, there's there's options for him if he wants to fight, but there was... Uh, wasn't... Because they were talking about having him fight again. He, he injured his hand, which put to bed a lot of the discussion, but I remember us talking a little bit last year about him, there being a dispute about him wanting to be in the main event of a pay-per-view instead of the co-main, because, and let's face it, he's got a point. You put Conor McGregor in the co-main event under you know, Henry Cejudo and somebody else, I'm sorry, nobody's buying to see Henry Cejudo. They're paying to see Conor. And that is true for every champion on the roster except, except first of all, clearly Khabib. And possibly, maybe John. I think if you get to those two guys, they're enough of a... I mean, again, Connor, hor- Connor does massively outdraw John Jones. But I think you could make an argument on a couple of different fronts that John should main event over a Connor fight. But... I mean, I love Robert Whitaker, but you put him—he had the, he had the best fight of 2018, and it was one of the lowest purchased pay-per-views. Crying shame, because that second fight with Yoel Romero was brilliant, brilliant fight. But you know, nobody really bought it. You know, Kamaru Usman, dominant fighter, but if you put Connor in the co-main event under Usman and Covington. You take a poll about how many people buy that for Usman versus how many buy it for McGregor. That's a landslide for McGregor. So I, I think he had a point there, and then again, he got injured, and that kind of you know, put everything away as far as how as far as how the UFC builds their cards meritocratically and financially. And we talked about that. You can dig it up in the archives if you're so interested. But I don't know. There, again, there wasn't a tremendous amount to unpack. Um, it was again, if you've this was a little bit if you've seen one star in the athletic field be caught behaving badly, you've seen their responses. This one came with a little bit more McGregor flavor than... I mean, a lot of them get up there and just, like, read pre-planned statements from lawyers and agents and whatnot. And Connor 
while he did have some of that, was is incapable of resisting the urge to inject himself into some of those things. And, you know, fair play. A little bit of personality is not the worst thing in the world. I'm just, I don't know. Again, I'm not sure the degree to which he's going to be successful with in his endeavor to rehab himself. And I'm not sure he's going to fight again. And, I don't know. I mean... I hate to be one of those guys who says, you know, I don't care if Connor ever fights again just to kind of be that guy. But I've, again, I said here at the time after McGregor Diaz 2, when other people were fawning over the fight on Twitter, it did not really speak to me. I have never been all that enthralled with Connor under any circumstance. He's a good fighter. He's a very, very good fighter who has defeated some all-time greats. Jose Aldo, all-time great. Eddie Alvarez, all-time great. And he's done some pretty impressive things. But I've never been... I don't know. I don't... Let me put it this way. There is not a fighter in the world right now whose presence in the sport has a massively deterministic perspective on my ability to enjoy it. You could take my five favorite fighters and have them retire tomorrow. And I'm... And I suppose I should rephrase that. I'm... There is no fighter, there is no set of fighters. Again, if all of them go away, okay, we can have a discussion. But it would take a catastrophic amount of fighters removing themselves from the sport to adversely impact my decision to observe it. I mean, I watch whether Connor's there or not. And yeah, sure, some of it's my job. But I was watching a lot of this long before Connor came into the sport, and I'll be watching after he goes away. You can argue degrees. You know, again, you can argue, do I enjoy it more if Connor's around? Personally, no. You, your mileage may vary. Connor is a non-factor for me, as far as that goes. Certain fighters are more factors. Some of them are like John Volante and make me want to slip my wrists. Some of them are like Tony Ferguson and make me just want to somehow metaphor sop up the metaphysical violence with a sponge and just devour with like like Tony's fighting is like a really great stew. You just want to sop up all the gravy with bread. Like that's my relationship with Tony Ferguson fights. Like I love that. John Volante makes me want to die. So there are extremes. For me, again, Connor's just... Meh. He's in the middle of the pack there. So I don't know. He's making some of the... He's making the moves that have been documented to work in the past. We'll see how it plays out. If I had to bet on him fighting again... You know, I actually do think this incident, coupled with Nate coming back, makes it more likely. The fastest way for him to rehab his image, and this is also universally true of athletes be they fighters, football players, whatever. Unless you engage in something, you know, just like the most depraved, catastrophic, unforgivable acts, and let me be clear, even that is not proven to be true 100% of the time, returning to form and giving people what they want, be that success or the build-up, will allow you to rehabilitate your image. I mean, 
do I have to point to Mike Tyson here? Now, again, I know the... I mean, look at what Mike Tyson did to rehab his image. Look what football players do on occasion. You know what those guys get up to. It ain't good. By most reasonable standards of good. But a significant portion of the ability to rehabilitate their image comes from, I can still perform the required... I can still perform the action that has given me this degree of fame and notoriety and do it at a very high level. And that does make up a lot of ground when it comes to public relations. So between Connor needing to rehab his image a little bit and Nate Diaz coming back, those two are kind of made to fight each other when it comes to the money side of things. So... Given where circumstances stand at the moment, I think it, we're more likely to see him return to fighting than prior to him punching that guy in the face. Prior to that event, I I mean, I said I, I was shocked he came back to fight Khabib at all. A little bit. I thought, he'd, I thought he'd make his, you know, $100 million from fighting Floyd and be done. But came back, fought Khabib, lost... Made a lot more, made another, he made what, like a straight up million in disclosed pay for that? A lot of money. Made a lot of money, had launched his whiskey brand by that point, you know, there's, I was a little surprised he came back, and then Khabib put him through a bit of a meat grinder. And now he's reached a point where fighting might have enough benefits to outweigh the risks for him in terms of just getting beyond some very, very unsightly public incidents. But prior to those incidents, I don't, I don't know. Again, I don't think coming back and potentially losing again was worth it. Now it might be just to get back in the cage and fight and help keep the, uh, the public consciousness turning beyond him being a bit of a mess. So I don't know. I do not know. All right. It'll be interesting to... I'm sure it will be interesting to see play out. I mean, again, I'm not terribly invested in the future of Conor McGregor. But I'm not going to pretend he's not an important figure in the landscape of the sport either. That's just silliness. All right. Uh, Let's move on a little bit here. What other news did we have? Oh, UFC 243 has received a little bit more fleshing out. This will air in October 6th of, two, of this year in Melbourne. It's headlined by Whitaker and Adesanya. And good God, just hooked that into my veins. But we've got some more of the fight card fleshed out. Um, Ally Aquinta and Dan Hooker are signed for this fight. And great fight. I, I like that fight. I like Dan Hooker in that fight, actually. But uh, that's a really good fight. Um, tai Tuivasa's getting a bit of a gimme fight against Sergei Spivak. Holly Holm is fighting Raquel Pennington. Uh, so, again, and I'm not going to go over the entire card, but those are kind of the uh, the big hits that have been signed. I mean, Holm's, uh, the news about Holly's at least a month old at this point, but I don't think it was worth talking about individually. So, there's, they're starting to flesh that card out. And again, Hooker and Ia Quint is a really good fight. That is a very, very solid co-main event if that's the position it winds up occupying. And again, that main event, 
I mean, what am I going to say about Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya? Come on. Watch those. Watch their last fights. Watch the last two fights from each guy, then tell me you're not hyped for those two clashing. The buildup has been pretty interesting, actually. Adesanya is doing a lot of talking, and Robert Whitaker just does not care, man. <laughs> Uh, I like Robert Whitaker. Um, I get why elements of his personality don't resonate with the masses the same way that you know someone like Israel Adesanya does. But he's playing this pretty well. He's kind of getting Israel Adesanya to come off as the slightly crazier one. Uh, and again, the mental warfare before the cage, before you get into the cage, is only is only useful in as much as it benefits you once the cage door closes. I mean, I saw people, I mean, to bring up Connor again, mentioning that, you know, Connor didn't get under Khabib's skin. No, he did. But, unlike, say, again, Eddie Alvarez, where the pre fight, or Jose Aldo, where all the talk got them to fight in ways that they do not normally fight, and allowed Connor to take advantage, it did not uh, help him at all against Khabib. It does not mean he was not successful in irritating him to one degree or another. It means that it did not manifest itself in beneficial ways. Trash talk is only useful in as much as it bene- as it benefits you in the actual fight. At least from a practical standpoint, as far as the competitive angle goes. I suppose if you want to argue how much popularity one can glean from trash talk as a material component, fine, that's a separate discussion, though. So, anyway, that's that's a pretty good... Again, that's a good top two fights. Um, eh, I'm not in love with the rest of the card as currently announced, but that whole event's also over a month away, and we all know how MMA can be as far as events falling apart. Because it happens all the time. Alright, um, what... Oh, I remember the other thing I wanted to talk about. I'll try to be as brief with this as I can. But... Dana White, at one of the, uh, I think one of, at one of the, this has come up a bit recently, and I think it bears discussion, even if very briefly. Dana White's mentioned that Henry Cejudo has to defend the flyweight belt next against Joseph Benavidez, or give it up. That there's, there's some stuff at 135, there's some contenders rising, there's some fights that have to play out to determine a real number one contender there. And in the interim, he's, Joseph Benavidez has done everything you could ask for of a contender. I completely agree with that point, by the way. And he should get the next shot at the belt, or Henry gives up the belt. Um, again, the UFC spent a lot of time cutting a lot of flyweights. This is a bit of an odd tack for them to take. Not in the sense that I think it's incorrect, but... I don't know. I mean, they're making the overtures that they're going to keep the division, but I'm still not sold on it. Now, I agree. Flyweight's been held up now since the first fight between Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson. While Cejudo got injured, moved up to bantamweight, won that belt, and bantamweight's a much more competitive, fleshed-out division. But, I mean, also recall after Cejudo beat Marais for the vacant belt, he said... I would like to fight Uriah Faber and Cody Garbrandt and, like, what the hell? Like, you just ignore every deserving contender for the California middle-aged man. Uh, I thought it was ridiculous. I still think it's ridiculous. 
I mean, you've got guys like Aljamain Sterling, you've got Peter Yan, you've got, oh, who was that? Um, Corey Sandhagen, for crying out loud, who just uh, beat Rafael Asensio so decisively. I, I mean, you've got those guys. See, nothing of you, I mean, okay, Pedro Munoz coming off of that loss, but still on a bit of a run. You got Frankie Edgar dropping to bantamweight. Uh, you've got plenty of guys in that division, and yet he'd rather fight guys on losing streaks or old man Faber. Ugh. Just ugh. So, now again, Henry's still recovering from shoulder surgery as far as from a competitive standpoint. I mean, he had it earlier, but I think even when he had it, they said he wasn't going to be able... The earliest, and he'd be pushing it, would be December of this year. So they might work something out by then. Um, again, I agree that he should defend the flyweight belt or vacate it. I think that's where things are with him right now. I don't think... I don't know. I don't know that he will. If some really juicy option at bantamweight materializes between now and then, they might go for that and just leave flyweight hanging in the wind because the UFC doesn't care about the division. I mean, they finally got flyweight back to a point where there's at least 15 guys on the roster, if nothing else. But... Uh, <laughs> It was so stupid. Like, three months, they had, like, ten people in the division. Even now, God, they cut so many talented guys. They have Tim Elliott ranked, and Tim Elliott spends more time at Bantamweight these days. So many of these people are like, hey, I've got three fights in the UFC. I'm number 15. Just by virtue of having three fights. I don't even think Holly and Piva's one. Holly and Piva's, like, one and two. <laughs> they might have exactly 15 fighters in that division, and that's what they... Oh, God. Look, I'm not saying the UFC is incapable invest of reinvesting in that division, but... Yeesh. It is not looking all that great at the moment. That's all I'm saying. So I don't know what they're going to do with that. Again, they're saying some of the right things, but... I don't know. I mean, I don't know what... It... Look, the UFC has been trying since they announced this division to get the belt on Joseph Benavidez. <laughs> when they announced the tournament several years ago at this point, we all, myself included, said, okay, they're, they're looking to give Joseph Benavidez a belt, and he's probably the best guy in this division, and Demetrius Johnson upset the apple cart. And then went on to have the most, the most successful title reign in UFC history. And, you know, good for DJ. I don't begrudge anybody involved in that whole thing anything. Uh, they got Joseph Benavidez a rematch, and he just got knocked out that second time around. <laughs> that might be... That was Demetrius Johnson's only finish via strikes in the UFC, I think. Was when he knocked out Joseph... I mean, that's a hell of a one to pull off, if that's going to be your only one. Cold-cocking Joseph Benavidez in the first round is one to do it by. But, again, I've kind of speculated that I'm not sure the UFC knows what to do with the weight classes below 155 pounds unless they can prominently feature Team Alpha Male in some respect. 
How much time did we screw around at Bantamweight playing around with, oh, this guy's got beef with Team Alpha Male, so that's how we're going to do this. A lot. Wasted a lot of time with that. Now, again, some of that was just, hey, these are the best two guys, and Team Alpha Male had a decent concentration of guys at that weight class. But they've wasted a lot of that time. And, I, again, I just don't think they really know what to do with Featherweight or Flyweight. Now, Featherweight, they had McGregor, and now, thankfully, they've got... They had a guy in Max Holloway who just buzzsawed through enough of the division that he became undeniable. But it took that kind of effort while... You know, uh, I don't, I don't want to badmouth a few of the guys at Flyweight because some of the circumstances were just against Max. I mean, however you want to slice it, some of it was just the positioning did not favor him. And that's not anyone's fault. Not really. But he, I mean, he got, and he did get to where he, to the levels he's at now, and that's a monumental achievement. But, I mean, again, flyweight, I don't know that they really knew what they were doing with it. Uh, Bantamweight, again, they did not do a tremendous job of getting a lot of hype for Cejudo and Marais after Dillashaw, who still had kind of the Team Alpha Male orbit, you know, failed his drug test and got stripped of the belt and suspended. And it's one of the reasons that when Cejudo, that when Faber came out of retirement and beat the number 15th guy in the world, I don't want to say barely, but also pretty clearly got hurt in that fight at least once. They're like, oh, I knew. Oh, we're going to shoehorn Uriah Faber back into the title scene over Sandhagen, Sterling, Jan, all of these great guys. Ugh. And I, I mean, I, again, I get the desire to make money. I get that this is a business. But trying to balance the pure business side of this with the sport component is what the UFC is there for. And if you're not going to make concessions to the actual sporting meritocratic side of things you're basically pro wrestling and I don't mean that as a compliment so again I don't know what's up with flyweight the UFC said things we're gonna have to wait to see Henry Cejudo's recovery timetable and I hope they keep it I love the division I really do flyweight's one of my favorite divisions to watch they do so much fun stuff, but again, Dana's said a few of the right things about the division going forward, but there's so much up in the air, and let's be also be clear, Dana White's word and five bucks will get you a single cup of coffee at Starbucks. Alright, um, let me refresh Twitter, make sure nothing crazy is broken between now and then. I don't think anything has. Um, all right. Uh, let me just get out of here then. Okay. As for my plugs this week, this Tuesday will be a special Damn You Hollywood. Sorry, Thursday will be a special Damn You Hollywood when myself, Alexis Hanna, and Jason Teasley get together to review Ready or Not, the kind of horror comedy movie. It was released last week. Uh, stars Don Johnson and I think Hugo Weaving's daughter, niece. 
And her first name Miranda. Miranda Weaving, I believe. I'm going to confirm that. Because I don't want to be... Uh, Samara Weaving, excuse me. Why did I think Miranda? Also, is that Don Johnson? I've got to confirm with this. No, I don't think so. What am I confusing him with? Ah, it doesn't matter. Anyway. So, we'll be reviewing that. This Tuesday... Oh, niece, not daughter. Niece. God. Terrible. Anyway. Uh, there'll be a... There's a few Swamp Thing-related events from last week. Uh, source material for the Alan Moore... For part of Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing issues 20 through 27. Uh... Mark and Sean Comer put the Wes Craven-directed 1982 Swamp Thing on trial, and Mark and Jesse got together to talk about the DCEU streaming service, whatever they call it, uh, television series Swamp Thing, which apparently due to a paperwork error wound up being such a massive financial pitfall that they're just leaving it. They're just canceling it. Get your paperwork done, people. We live in a bureaucracy. Have to live with it. Okay, and I think this Tuesday there's a TV party uh, for something. Hang on, I'm going to look it up. Uh, this Tuesday... Oh, yeah, Superman... Uh, Krypton Season 2 will be this Tuesday. That's Mark and Jesse. Um, and, oh, may as well throw this out there. Well, uh, there will be a TV party for the bizarre movie Zombie Tidal Wave on the 30th that I will take part in. For uh, for the Andras vs. Zhang card, I did something for the previous event, for the Miocic-Cormier event, where I provided uh, live, it was recorded, but live, um, alternate commentary with Mark for the main card, while also providing written coverage for 411 Mania. And I thought my head would explode when we decided to try it. It didn't. Didn't even come all that close. So we're trying it again for the main card, at least the main event, for Andraj vs. Zhang. So be on the lookout for that. You can find the alternate commentary for Miocic and Cormier in the archives on the Rattlechin Broadcasting Network. And... Be sure to subscribe to the 411 Mania Podcasting Network. We've got Wrestling with Larry Zonka and a rotating cast of guests, usually Jeremy Lambert. For all things professional wrestling, you have the 411 Interview Series that Jeff Harris does when we can, when they can line up interviews for him. You have this show, of course. However you get it, thank you very much. Always appreciated. We'll be back next week where we will have a review of this card and a preview of UFC 242, Khabib versus Poirier. Great co-main event, Edson Barboza and Paul Felder. Really good featured bout, actually. Makachev and Hamos. Maribek Tysimov and Carlos Diego Fajaya. Um, there's, there's a lot good about that card. That's a really good card, everybody. So thank you very much for that. Until next time, thank you all again. I'm Robert Winfrey. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.